most people without telling them what it's called or, or what the intention is behind the work will see this as a some kind of spiritual expression and a lot of people if they come from the Christian tradition will see it as a Pentecostal piece. You're listening to the Makers of Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is season two, episode 15, the season finale. In this episode, I'm going to introduce you to London-based artist Paul Binney. Paul is a visual artist who has worked both in the United States and in the UK, and he's represented in public collections worldwide, including the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the National Gallery of Australia, and he's also featured in the Royal Collection and the National Portrait Gallery. I came across Paul's work several years ago and was immediately struck by the depth of his paintings, but also by the recurring theme of the Flame of Pentecost, which appears in much of his work. And more specifically, Paul has an absolutely mind-blowing painting called Speaking in Tongues, which is currently on display in Venice, Italy. And I had the chance to catch up with Paul and talk to him about this painting, as well as some of his other works. And I was really fascinated by his perspective on the Pentecost story. Paul made it clear that this is a secular depiction or a secular reimagining of the biblical narrative. But before we get into today's episode, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who has journeyed with me on these two seasons of Makers and Mystics. And I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with the community of The Breath and the Clay and the Makers and Mystics podcast. And that's through our new Patreon page, which we just launched this week. And you can find us there at patreon.com forward slash makers and mystics. And I just want to encourage you to go to the Patreon page and check out ways that you can be a contributing member to this growing creative arts movement that's taken root all over the world. Here's my interview with London-based artist Paul Binney, speaking in tongues a secular perspective on the Pentecost story. Paul, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on Makers and Mystics. It's an honor to have you on the show. Well, thank you. I'm pleased, I'm pleased to be able to uh, talk to you, actually. It's like a, kind of an amazing thing. Yeah. But, uh, you found me and this is happening now, you know, after. I think we've been talking back and forth for a couple of years now. <laughs> oh, yeah, a couple of years <laughs> Well, you know, man, you're such a uh, multifaceted artist. I know that you do incredible music, which we're going to share on the show. And then I also know that you do a lot of different styles of paintings. And I think I read that you're a, a self-taught artist. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. I did art at school like everyone else. Uh, yeah. But uh, I didn't take a university or art school course. And at the time when I was um, that age, when I could have done that, the art school's curriculum didn't really include painting techniques per se. You know, they were like, you know, when I went to interviews at art school, I was just told basically I was barking up the wrong tree and mm. people were getting into uh, early conceptual ideas and, you know, painting was seen as kind of like really old fashioned and shouldn't be bothering with it really so i didn't didn't go <laughs> i didn't wow. go wow 
So what drew you to pursue it on your own then? Did, did Have you always known that art was going to be kind of a vocation of yours, or did you stumble into that? How, how did you pursue what you're doing now? I tried for a while to avoid it. I mean, you know, it was clear from an early from early childhood that I could, you know, I could pick up a pencil or crayons or whatever and do something that looked like something. Uh, and everybody was very excited about that, except for me, really. Um, I uh, I left school and thought, well, I'm going to confound everyone's expectations by not being an artist. So I tried being a carpenter and a musician and I just avoided painting. But I had this experience that kind of drew me back, which was living in Toulouse in France, in the south of France, with my then-girlfriend. and um, I hadn't painted in years. Well, it felt like years, but it was probably only a couple of years since I left school. But um, she was getting uh, fed up with this very small apartment we had because of its lack of... Uh, you know, amenities, it was tiny, you know, and she was going threatening to go back to London. And I, uh, we, we, we kind of split up for a day or two. When she came back to the apartment, I'd painted a kind of, uh, in my spare time, you know, I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? And I painted on the wall a kind of trompe l'oeil corridor with a kind of sunlit room at the other end of it, which looked very realistic and kind of made our flat look a lot bigger than it actually was. <laughs> and that actually persuaded her to stay with me in Toulouse. And I thought, well, do you know what? If I can do that, if I can change someone's mind from their intended act, course of action by doing a painting, then maybe I shouldn't be avoiding it. Maybe I should just get on with it and do it. Wow. So I guess it's about 20 then. Yeah. And so how, how old are you now? 58 and so I've been painting for 38 years wow that's amazing and has that has that been kind of your full-time gig most of that time yeah the entire time I haven't done anything else <laughs> that's amazing I, I'm just thinking about it myself I haven't actually counted up the years lately so that's a lot of years <laughs> and how many works have you produced during that time roughly I have absolutely no clue <laughs> A lot of them were undocumented, so yeah, you know, it's thousands and thousands. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the piece of yours that I encountered that really drew me in and is it is what compelled me to reach out to you is your piece called "Speaking in Tongues," and man, this piece—the first time that I saw it—it it just really grabbed me, and I just found myself staring at it for a, a length of time and just really connecting with it. And then when I found out that it wasn't just the painting itself, but you would set it up using something called holosonic speakers. Tell me a little bit about how this idea came about. Well, it's a long story, but um, <laughs> how much time have we got? It started um, with, like a, every now and then, you know, one has the ideas that just to kind of come fully formed. Mm -hmm. I uh, woke up one morning and, and, and just had this idea that I should approach my subject matter, which for many years had been expressing the human spirit with a kind of emanation or flame or smoke rising from the heads of 
people in landscapes and and other ways of expressing that, uh, but mainly through the through the rising the light or the rising of smoke from the head. And I just realized in this flash that, of course, having rejected the religious teachings of my childhood, that actually what I was doing was accessing them in a kind of tangential way mm-hmm. and without knowing it subconsciously. And then, of course, I realized that the speaking tongues story, which just appeared in my head, like, you know, just out of the blue, because I hadn't been studying the Bible at all uh, recently, included the the spirit descending on the disciple, the apostles, in the form of a flame, a tongue of flame. And I say, whoa, that's, you know, that's exactly what I've been doing for the last 20 years, mm. without realizing that there was a con- connection with the Bible story. So I thought, okay, so what can I do to kind of create a, a loop here, you know, to return to the beginning of this circle? Mm-hmm. And what would I have done if I was a painter? In the Renaissance, for instance, I would have gathered, gathered all my buddies together and said, you can be, you know, an apostle, St. John and St. Paul and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I arranged them in such a way that it kind of related to a little bit of the Last Supper. It related to the paintings of apostles during Pentecost that I'd seen. It related to a Goya painting that's called The Lunatics in the, in the Yard. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me that in the day, back in the day, you know, even, I mean, the Bible doesn't express this, but I think it probably was the case that if you were having visions, you know, of the kind that we're talking about, like flames sprouting out from the top of your head, (laughs) you would probably be thought of as deranged, you know, Mm -hmm. and and, and possibly at best, you know, some sort of ideal savant you know and i think the bible translated a lot of that into you know religious fervor and religious imagination that gained you know the sort of legitimacy that you know orthodox religions give Mm -hmm. those kinds of visions and um so i thought it was important to include that goya painting as a reference just because i think if somebody or a group of people had this kind of experience today, we would probably lock them up, you know? <laughs> so, uh, or said they had that experience, that people wouldn't believe them, you know, that kind of thing. So if you see where I'm coming from, there's different references, you know? Yeah. I think spiritual experience does appear a bit like madness from the outside. I think this is why the language of metaphor and symbolism is so interchangeable between the artist and the spiritual seeker. Many times our experience of God or the ineffable can't be explained or portrayed in any other way or in any other terms than through symbolism and metaphor. How did 
dealing with this subject matter impact you in in your own spiritual journey? In the sense that I became very aware that the Bible was, and not just the Bible, actually. I mean, religious texts of all sorts, all yeah. types, um, provided an incredible resource for interesting imagery, imagery that drew on, you know, a completely human need for sort of spiritual engagement. You know, yeah. whatever religion you come from. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and so I've been working with a sort of that hybrid kind of area mm -hmm. between religious texts, orthodox texts, and uh, artistic expression in historical terms, in art historical terms of of the, of the spirit. Mm -hmm. um, so, do you see what I mean? There's a kind of in, interface yeah. there between yeah. secular and religious. Right. I'm keen on that idea. Yeah the crossbreeding yeah. of two kind of iconographies. Right. Um, and actually the bishop, I mean, it's just reminding me, the Bishop of London, Charles Chartres, uh, who has his, uh, St. Paul's Cathedral is his church, and he came to the studio and saw my work at one point a couple of years ago. And what he said was was interesting. He said is that the, the ground that I was working with the area the territory i was working with for him was was really important because it kind of for him himself gave him a different viewpoint on you know orthodox religious texts that he hadn't thought of before mm. so you know he, he was finding that an interesting departure from you know the straightforward religious paintings that you see mm -hmm. in churches all the time you know? yeah well, I thought it was really fascinating what you did with speaking in tongues. You interviewed several of your contemporaries and, and friends that you knew from uh, various ethnicities and religious backgrounds, and you asked them to share their story or share uh, an impacting event of their life. Is that correct? Well, all of the people in the painting itself are friends of mine, current friends of mine, and I asked them all to be you know, to sit for me so as subjects for this painting. But at the same time, I said, well, could, would they, because I wanted to use this holosonic speaker technology to give a, a different texture to the experience. So when you walk into the, currently it's in a chapel in Venice, when you walk into the chapel. Um, and so what I asked them to do is to come into this, to my recording studio area in my studio where I'm sitting now, uh, to be recorded expressing or just relating, narrating the most transformative moment that they can think of, of their lives. And it was a very moving experience. We had one after the other guys coming in and really in very unusually sort of just offloading things that perhaps they wouldn't generally talk about. And in a sense, it was a bit like a confessional I just I, I left the room generally and let them just talk into the microphone uh, as they wanted to and for however long they wanted to. And we edited it down a little bit. But basically, it's a unusually intimate um, narration from all of 12 men of something that 
you know, when you hear them as a an audible, I would call it an audible hallucination with these speakers that use an algorithm to focus the sound actually in a point in space. So when you hit that point in front of the painting, the sound actually sounds sounds like you're it's going off in your head in the sense that it's generated inside of you. It, fe it feels like you're hearing a voice inside your head. Mm. And that technology is, wasn't available even two, three years ago. So, and, and, and so I was really keen to utilize this and in a sense have, it's a, almost a kind of, um, it's a kind of an experience that transcends just the visual experience and goes into something else that where, especially if you're not used to it or you've never come across it before, you, you feel somehow transported. Most people without telling them what it's called or, or what the intention is behind the work will see this as a some kind of spiritual expression. And a lot of people, if they come from the Christian tradition, will we'll see it as a Pentecostal piece. And you've said this would definitely be a secular or non-traditional perspective on the work, but I wondered, did you find that in separating it from the tradition that story is usually told in, it would seem it would give you such a fresh perspective on it. I, so I'm, I'm really curious how that subject matter impacted you from outside of orthodoxy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I've been using the imagery of, of the spirit being represented by a flame or emanation from the head for, for many years. So when it, when it came to the Pentecost story, I really, I suppose, felt strongly uh, about the way in which the Pentecost brings these 12 men together at a certain point in time. Mm -hmm. uh, and they all experience a very otherworldly experience mm -hmm. that is explained as some visitation of the Holy Spirit. And I think, for me, if I, ex if I do come across, or if I have experiences uh, I suppose since painting that, there have been one or two occasions when I've not like flames dancing on people's heads, but just moments with strange light effects, you know, where I've been in the landscape and so on, that I see as very symbolic, mm. uh, whereas I may have just dismissed them before. So in that sense, my, my, my visual life has become a little richer from yeah. painting. Yeah. There's such an intersection between the artistic experience and what some would term a spiritual experience, you know, and, and those intersections are what I'm interested in exploring and how the artistic or how the creative element within our humanity is also a very numinous or spiritual experience as well. And so when we talk about, you know, things as the, the flames of fire and, and people connecting with something much larger than themselves or something outside of themselves, uh, that sounds like much of what I experience when I'm writing a song or, or in creating a poem. It, it, it just seems like there's a natural 
intersection between spiritual experience and the creative experience. And in your painting, I really just felt that. And of, and of course, uh, once I saw that one, I did start exploring more of your work. And so I did see the the theme of the flame kind of repeat itself in a almost like a narrative uh, or a storyline. It was like I saw your own contemplation a bit. It was it, it was really, really beautiful seeing seeing that repeated there. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it, it was an unconscious exploration of that theme, uh, whereas now it's very much more conscious, mm-hmm. uh, and and that, that that's actually given me a lot of satisfaction. Is that I've sort of resolved one or two of the reasons why, it, I, to myself, you know, why I paint the things that I paint. Mm-hmm. Um, often, I think with artists, and certainly, I know as a musician. There's no real, you often feel that there's no real reason why you've explored a certain area of creativity mm-hmm. or imagery. Um, so, but, and, and I, I often think it's better not to think about it at, yeah. at the time that you're doing it yeah. and then kind of analyze it later. And in terms of my sort of quasi-religious imagery, spiritual imagery, mm-hmm. It's taken me an awful long time, way too much time, actually, to kind of see where that's coming from and see a path moving forward as well. Yeah. I feel much better about that now. One of my heroes is David Byrne from Talking Heads. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he, he has a phrase that he coined called emergent storytelling. And yeah. When he discusses emergent storytelling, he's basically saying that when he starts writing a song or when he's you know creating a work of art, a lot of times he doesn't know what he's going after. He doesn't know what the story is that wants to be told through the work until after the work is done. And uh, it sounds like your process might be a little similar to that. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm a big fan of David Brennan and that that book he wrote about the creative process. Um, it really chimed with how I approach making music and making art very much so, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of your music, uh, we've been playing samples of some of your compositions throughout the program, but tell me a little bit about the musical side of your creativity. Well, I've always had uh, a piano in the studio. Actually, right now I don't have one uh, in the studio, but <laughs> normally I do. And so when I'm not painting, I can kind of get off grid or got get offline in a sense uh, by messing about with the piano. But in the last, that was over the last 20 years or so, but in the last mm, nearly 10 years, I suppose now, I've been working with James Ribbons, who's a great musician and, uh, and producer. And we've been working on uh, a number of songs and, soundscapes and one of the elements of speaking in tongues that we were talking about earlier this one of the uh, sound elements is a soundscape that sits audibly sort of subordered audibly uh, that you don't notice right away but if somebody tells you then you can hear it and it's a very interesting combination of tones that even though people don't realize it when they walk into the chapel in Venice there is this thing going on that creates a very interesting kind of engagement with the mind 
even before you realize that there's anything happening. What is the chapel where people can see it on display now? It's called the Chiesa di San Gallo. Mm. Uh, it's right next to St. Mark's Square, so it's dead in the center of town. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's easy to get to. Yeah, I would imagine that painting being viewed in a chapel would have to be a really uh, incredible experience. It just seems like it, it's meant for that environment in some ways. Yeah, well, it did. Everybody said that, actually, um, and anybody who's been. And the feedback is that it seems like the church should, it's already been bought by somebody else, but I mean, the church should have it there permanently because it looks like it was made for that chapel. Yeah. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. I well, guess that's what I would, in, you know, had it not been bought by somebody, I probably would have found some way to put it permanently in a church. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you one real practical question, and this is just for the artists who follow the show, and I have a lot of emerging artists who are pursuing their craft, and they're also working full-time jobs, or they're trying to find ways to uh, to do their art as a vocation, and um, and it's a bit of a challenge, but you are an accomplished artist. Your your work is in museums all over the world. You've done this for 30 plus years now. What would you say to some of these young emerging artists uh, that might help them in their journey toward um, creating a livelihood or a, or a vocation, however you would word it, it with, with the work that they're pursuing? Oh, that's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big question. And... Um, yeah, I wish I could put it all into a little nugget, you know, that that uh, that people can could, could digest easily. But um, it's it's a long road. It's a long road, and it's and you have to be prepared. In a practical sense, you have to be prepared for the terrain, and the terrain is really unpredictable and rocky, and has huge peaks and soaring heights, but it also has really scary troughs and depths in, in there. And, you know, if you can't handle the uncertainty of that, then you're really not in the right business, you know. Yeah. If you call art a business, I don't really call it the business, but you know what I mean. Yes. And uh, I think one has to understand that from the beginning and, and sort of steal yourself and say to oneself this is where I need to be mm -hmm. uh, do, don't be put off by you know rejection I think people find it difficult even to call themselves I certainly did at the beginning call, uh, to call themselves artists you know when they say what do you do in, I found it very difficult to say I'm an artist uh, because it sounded like I was saying something that I didn't quite believe in myself. Uh, mm -hmm. I think once you start calling yourself an artist properly and won't even entertain the idea of being anything else, then the universe somehow twists towards you. It, it mm -hmm. shapes itself to accommodate that that you've decided on. 
and you find that people react to you in a way that allows you that route. You know, mm-hmm. those doors will open as you define yourself on those in those terms. Mm-hmm. But it's no good. It's no good. Sort of. Half being half-hearted about it, you have to just jump in with both feet. One question I wanted to ask you, and this is something that I've been thinking about lately, but do you find that when you're dealing with a difficult subject matter in your work or when you're you're dealing with a subject matter say like the speaking in tongues and the pentecost when it's something so mysterious and so large and and so you know irrational in some ways i've been thinking that art gives us a safe place to deal uh with the unimaginable or let me say it like this even when you deal with with trauma or horror or or difficult things, and in the same way, when you deal with the transcendent or or spiritual subject matters, it's almost like when you put it on a canvas, and you've got these edges that that contains it. Suddenly, we have a way to wrap our head around something that otherwise is too big to really grapple with. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, that's exactly what it does. I think. And I think the creative life, no matter what you're doing, if you're a musician, if you're a painter, sculptor, a writer, you know, what you're doing is encapsulating the spirit in a way. I mean, you're you're encapsulating the unknowable, the irrational often, the deeply emotional wordless experiences uh, in a form that we can digest and take away as something that we can either relate to or get some lessons from or yeah. from get some, get some guidance through. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's restricted to just one creative practice or I think it's, it's really across the board. And, yeah. I think if one spends any time with with artists, musicians, writers, you, you know, and talk and spend time talking to them as you do, you must have that sense that you know everybody's really doing the same kind of thing. We're drawing. I feel that we're all drawing from the same well. You know, mm-hmm. that's the way I often put it. Yeah. Um, and if you can find the, the well, and you can sink, you know, something down there to draw up, then you know, you'll always be able to express the things that um, perhaps people who aren't creatively engaged have trouble finding. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Well, last question. What's on the horizon for you next? Um, well, when the piece, when Speaking Tongues arrives in America, there will be a period, I think, of a uh, short period where the museum it will be finished and built, uh, and I can't really talk about where it is at the moment because it's not it's not in the public mm-hmm. sphere. Um, but that will be uh, an exciting time to to come and install that whole thing in a, 
I gather that they'll be making a special room for it, a sort of modern chapel for it within the museum. So that, that'll be a very exciting time to be coming to America. Um, and in the meantime, continuing on with my studio practice and actually hoping to do some more, some more music with my producer as well. Now I've got a bit of time. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, when your uh, exhibition comes to America uh, and you can tell us more about it, let me know and, and I'll make sure that everyone knows where to go to view it here in the States. Yeah, for sure. That would be great. Thanks. Yeah. Well, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us and uh, wish you the best. Well, likewise. No, I'm very happy to be talking to you. And yeah, let's catch up later. Sounds good. <laughs> Well, friends, this concludes season two of the Makers and Mystics podcast. Thank you so much for listening and for journeying with me these two seasons. We'll be back online in just a few weeks with the beginning of season three. In the meantime, I encourage you to visit our Patreon page and consider partnering with us in the production of these conversations. You can find that page at patreon.com forward slash Makers and Mystics. And there's also a link to it on makersandmystics.com. At the beginning of Season 3, we're also going to be announcing some of the lineup and the dates for our next The Breath and the Clay Creative Arts Gathering, which will take place in March of 2018 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And lastly, I would love to visit your community or your church and host these discussions on the intersections of faith and creativity. So if you're interested in having me come to your community, you can email me at makersandmystics.com. So until the next time, friends, we'll see you soon.